following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. But let me read uh, to you this morning uh, from God's Word. I promise that we uh, would get there. And we're going to look uh, in Romans chapter 10. It'll be on the screen, but most importantly, looking at verses 9 and 10, beginning in verse 8. And it says this, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if we confess with, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. Amen. So an important note as we jump in and to just still by way of introduction that you need to understand this, the difference that Paul is making between belief, knowledge, and confession. Paul is making a distinction between those two things. Knowledge and belief is knowing in your mind that something is true. And what I want you to understand by that is the scriptures and Christianity never ask you to park your mind in the parking lot and then enter in uh, without critical thought. Uh, That Christianity is not in competition with science. It is not in competition with higher education. Uh, That Christianity is one to engage the mind. And so it's important about what we believe to think those things through. But it distinguishes between that head knowledge of knowing those truths to a confessional level, which says, I believe these things. I know these things to be true, or I know that Jesus was the Son of God. But now I confess. I I am pledging, as it were, my allegiance to him. I confess with my mouth that he is Lord. I don't only know it in my mind. I confess it with my heart. My my very being comes. It is my confession that, that he is Lord. These are not two things in conflict with one another. That reason is not in conflict with the emotion in the heart of confessing uh, with one's heart. It's not a blind leap of faith. We're not asking you to just jump off into the darkness. But really, the reality of Christianity is asking you to step out of darkness into light, not out of light into darkness. It is saying fully engage the mind. Yes, there are mysteries. Yes, there are moments when there's not a a full uh, explanation of all things per se, uh, but it's not simply a blind leap of faith. You see, before faith can penetrate the heart, it has to go through the passageway of the mind. You have to think it, you have to conceive it, you have to know it, and it has to go in. You see, Christianity teaches the primacy both of the heart and of the mind, that it brings those things together. St. Augustine, the great father and patriarch in the church, said this, that the heart cannot embrace what the mind rejects. The heart cannot embrace what the mind rejects. The two have to go together. I hear from people so regularly, some of you even, uh, who talk in language like this, Bill, I'm 16 inches away from reality in my Christian life. 
which means I know it. I know it. It just hasn't moved 16 inches down into my heart. I haven't embraced it. I haven't confessed it in that way. You see, the truth of God, the truth of God can get the mind without getting the heart. But the truth of God cannot get the heart without getting the mind first. Does that make sense? So we want you to engage your minds when you come uh, in. We want you to be willing to do hard work, uh, to think, to study, to read, to engage your mind. But don't only engage your mind, moving it down. For you see this, James makes uh, a great statement, almost a satirical statement in chapter 2 in his letter. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe, and they shudder. The demons knew, the demons had knowledge of who God was, but they were unwilling to confess him as Lord. Knowledge of God, knowledge of who Christ is, knowledge of God's word, it qualifies you at the baseline to be a demon. But it doesn't qualify you to be a Christian. Confession of Christ qualifies you to be a Christian. There is a massive distinction uh, in those two things. You see, it is confessing with your heart. It's the heart that has to believe. Belief is birthed out of the heart. You see, the reason that the creed begins with I believe and not I know is that the creed has tied itself and anchored itself to the gospel. You see, all other moral religions, all other moral philosophies uh, say this. Here's the bar. Here's the bar. Now measure up. Good luck. Here's what it's all about. Uh, Any of the world's moral religions say that. Here's the bar. Now measure up. If you buy into the philosophy, if you buy into the worldview of materialism, uh, here's the bar. Live up to it that you have to have more things, that you have to be farther along in your life materially. The Muslims would say, here's the bar. Gain perfection in order to find hope and happiness. But Christianity doesn't. Christianity says, this is what we believe and hold to be true. The gospel uh, itself in those ways. And so as we look at the creed, As we look at these things together, we're going to see first balance, uh, then we're going to see clarity, then we're going to look at community, and finally look at counsel. Briefly, balance, symmetry, that the understanding of a creed helps give balance or symmetry within your life. Uh, it doesn't show necessarily now. I used to work out a lot. And when I was a young, uh, younger person, a student, high school student uh, in Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, wrestling was a really big thing, professional wrestling. And there was one guy, Ricky Steamboat, who had a gym. And it was called Steamboat's Gym. And, and Ricky Steamboat, and that's the gym that I worked out in. And I was in that gym, and there were big guys in that gym. Ricky Steamboat's brother was also in that gym. But the problem with Ricky Steamboat's brother is he didn't have balance in his approach to weightlifting. Because Ricky Steamboat's brother looked like an upside-down pear with two toothpicks stuck in the bottom. He was huge shoulders. 
big, strong arms. He was massive. He was intimidating. And you looked at him and you went, this guy, wow, look at this guy. And then you looked down at his legs and they were toothpicks because what you realized was he made a decision, I want to be big up top. I want to have broad shoulders. I want to bench press a million pounds. I want to do all that. But you know what he hated? He hated leg day. He hated doing squats. He hated doing lower body. He hated doing that. And so he looked like an upside-down pear with two toothpicks stuck out of the bottom of it. And in listening and thinking about that illustration, someone said, if you look at someone like that, They may look big, but you could probably take them down because everyone knows that true strength comes from the core. It comes from uh, the middle part, and that's where your strength comes. So he looked good at some level, but was out of balance. In a previous church, there was a young family, not really that young, there was an older couple, uh, who had decided they were going to change their lifestyle of eating. And so they bought a juicer, and they juiced everything. And we went and had a meal with them. I guess you could call it a meal uh, and uh, Lisa and I were sitting with them in this beautiful uh, house looking out over the vistas of the North Carolina mountains, and it dawned on us. They were orange. <laughs> Their skin had taken on an orange hue, and it wasn't really clear until they went up against certain backgrounds and wore certain clothes. And we realized that they were out of balance in their diet. They had too much beta carotene uh, in their diet. Uh, They had removed too many of the other essential good ingredients from their diet. And it highlighted these other things. Uh, And so it was an early version of VeggieTales that we were sitting uh, with them. Christians can do the same thing, though. And I'm not talking physically. I'm talking spiritually. Uh, For some of you, uh, you believe uh, that Jesus is your personal Lord and Savior. And that's important to believe. It's been presented in the church so often that Jesus is your personal Lord and Savior. So there is an individualistic view that you have of, hey, it's me and Jesus and we are good. All I need is Jesus and I don't need anything else. Uh, And I'm preaching to the choir a little bit because you're here in worship. uh, But this moving trend of I don't need to be a part of the church. I just need Jesus. Give me my Bible. Give me my laptop. Give me my iPad. I'll just look at some pastor somewhere sitting in the comfort of my home on any given day of the week. And it's just me and Jesus. You're out of balance. You're out of balance because the creed says I believe in the communion of saints. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, small c, universal church, that you are a part of something larger than yourself. Uh, That Jesus came, yes, to save you, but not only you. And so that there is benefit uh, in recognizing and finding balance in your Christian life. Maybe for others of you, you can quote the scriptures. You You know all the historic stories of who Jesus is, uh, that he walked on water and his miracles uh, and all of that. And so when you speak of Jesus, you speak of him as a historian would speak uh, of someone in history of of Napoleon or William the Conqueror or Elizabeth the Great. You've gotten out of balance because what you failed to realize and to assimilate into your belief system more uh, in a healthier way is that Jesus is risen. 
and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And from there, he will come again one day to judge the living and the dead. He is actually alive right now. That you don't serve a dead Savior, but a living, true soul with a body somewhere. Here's something just to mess with your mind a little bit. Jesus ascended bodily, correct? Correct? That he had a body. He had eaten fish. He would eaten food. You could touch him. You could feel him. He ascended in that body. Heaven is a spatial place. Somewhere. There is Jesus in his body. Glorified as it were. But he is there and he is alive. And so you need to find better balance and symmetry within your life. That it's not just one thing or another. Some of you have certain headliners that you, that you want. You have headlines that this is what defines me. And the other things are maybe uncomfortable. Those within a charismatic movement would say that it's the Holy Spirit only. Just give me the Holy Spirit. I just want the Holy Spirit. And they fail to appropriate maybe the work of God the Father and God the Son into that. They're out of balance. Presbyterians within our tradition have probably been too much on our theology of God the Father and God the Son and of the theology of the church. And we failed to include more of the theology of the Holy Spirit and the work that he does within our lives. We get out of balance. And so it's important for us to find balance And so the creed is one that helps give us balance in our lives. The creed also gives us clarity. It helps to inform things for us. It helps to point out error and places where we have misunderstandings. Ligonier Ministries, along with Lifeway Ministries, did a survey recently, and it was something about what's the spiritual temperature of the church or the thermostat for the church. You can look it up online. And it's about the American church. And what it said in the survey were these things, and I'll read them to you. The survey revealed significant confusion regarding the doctrine of God. In fact, the survey revealed significant numbers affirming such heresies as denying that the Holy Spirit is a person and denying the deity of Christ. The survey revealed uh, heretical views regarding human nature and of sin. The survey revealed that less than half of Americans think that the Bible is the word of God and that it is true. These same numbers of the population rejected the Bible, what the Bible has to say on ethical issues, such as sex outside of marriage and other ethical, moral issues. It shouldn't be a surprise. If half of people don't believe that the Bible is the word of God and carries any authority, then why would it have any authority to inform ethical issues in our lives and world? The survey revealed that while six out of ten believe in a literal heaven... Less than half of them polled think you need to believe in Jesus to get there. The survey revealed that six out of ten believe in a literal hell. But two-thirds of the people think that everyone by nature is good. And that, in other words, people believe in a hell, but it will never be populated. The survey also revealed that worshiping alone is just as valid as attending worship, corporate worship together in a church. So you see... The muddy, the waters are muddy. A.W. Tozier said this, what you believe about God, what you think about when you think about God is the most important thing in the universe. Your considerations of God, your considerations of these spiritual matters are incredibly important. And what it seems like by and large uh, is that American evangelicals are 
completely confused about their faith and about truth and teaching. That there's a movement around of what's true, what's not true, what do we believe? That many of you are coming from churches where the belief structure has changed over time. That the word of God no longer is the word of God, but it contains the word of God, which allows for broad interpretations of areas that don't contain it, and that it's just man-made, and we only need to pick out what's truly God's. So you see, we ask the wrong questions all the time within the church. We've become pragmatic in our pursuit of things, and, and creeds help us to go back and say not only what I believe and what I confess, but even what is it that, what does it matter? I've said for the years that I've been here, part of my role in your life is to help you ask different and better questions. Everyone's going to face the same things. If you're not a church person and you're here today, that should be good news to you because Christians and non-Christians face the exact same things within the world. The difference is Christians have a different place to go for answers. There should be a different response because of what we believe. And a great thing that was taught to me years ago, in every situation in which you find yourself, if you will ask these two questions, it will begin to shape and reshape you. Here are the two questions. God... What are you trying to teach me about you in the middle of this situation? What do you want me to learn about you in the middle of this situation? And the second question is, God, what do you want me to learn about me in the middle of this situation? If you will ask those two questions and actually work hard to find answers, you can be transformed and changed. But it takes time. It it takes time. I have people come to my office. And they say, Bill, we've been married for 20 years. We've made a wreck uh, of this relationship. And we can only meet with you uh, on Thursday at 2 o'clock to fix us. So can you meet? And I say, Thursday's my day off. This is when I'm with my wife building into my marriage. So I'm not going to come in and meet with you. No, 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 you don't understand. You've got to meet with us right now. It took you 20 years to get this thing all messed up. It's not going to get fixed overnight. It's going to take time, and it's going to take energy, and it's going to take work. There's no secret pill, even within Christianity, to make everything better. And so, Christi- and so creeds help clarify those things for us, this process of faith and life. The creeds, though, give us balance, symmetry, They help us to understand and to clarify certain things. And the creed also helps us as we define our community. I won't spend but a moment on this. Uh, You see, the creed, the Apostles' Creed that we're reading, has been used for 2,000 years by Christians. Today, around the world, over the course of this weekend, around the world, Millions of your brothers and sisters in Christ are reciting these same words. They are standing up and within their language language and in their dialect and within their culture and within their race, within their socioeconomic backgrounds, within all of these places, urban and rural, all of these people are confessing the same thing. And what it tells you is this. They've been doing it for 2,000 years 
Folks, this isn't new. It's just our time to run this part of the race. That you're a part of something that is larger than yourself. You're a part of something that goes beyond yourself. We are an historic people. I got on Ancestry.com, and I've got McCutcheon and McKenzie in me. A little Scottish thing going on. And as we went back in Ancestry.com, it was really cool to find out uh, that Robert the Bruce uh, is one tick over in a direct lineage for me and my family. That's awesome for me. I love knowing that I'm part of that line and lineage of Scottish men and women who came through that. But then I studied and found out that in uh, around 70 A.D., a fellow was born named Polycarp. Polycarp was an early church father. He was a Christian. He was a believer. He lived into his 80s. He was an octogenarian. And in 155, there at that time wasn't fully fledged out creeds, but there was, Paul even mentioned it in Romans, a creed that says, if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord... You see, that was a creed, that was a creedal statement, because in the Roman Empire at that day, what you were supposed to say was, Dominus Kaiser, Caesar is Lord. That was the Roman religion of the day, Caesar is Lord. And Polycarp, in his 80s, was identified uh, by a crowd as being a Christian. And they stood in front of him and they said, just say the creed, just say the words, Dominus Kaiser. And Polycarp stood in front of these men and he said, 86 years I have served Christ and he never did me any wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me, Dominus Jesus? And he was burned at the stake. It is cool that Robert the Bruce is in my line and lineage, but it is so much more awesome that Polycarp is. That I stand in a family that has produced men like him and women who have changed the world for their faith and brothers and sisters who stood and I realize that this isn't just me and now. Me and God in the now, wow, hey, that's awesome. It is something so much larger than that. And if you've been looking for your identity I want to help you find it in this greater story and in this greater community of people. That we are a historic people. That we are a global, multi-ethnic, multi-racial, multi-tongued, wonderfully diverse people of God. And that if you say... Jesus is Lord. I have more in common with you. I have more family tie with you than I do even my blood relatives who don't profess that to be true. You're my true family. We stand together on that confession. And then finally, it gives us counsel. That's what we're going to be doing over these 12, 13, 14 weeks that we're going to be together. The creed helps give us counsel to ourselves and to others. 
The creed says, I believe that Jesus will judge the living and the dead. If I believe that to be true, there is a counsel that I then give my heart when it is tempted to go run after some sin, when it is going to run after some life uh, that is outside uh, of God's uh, planned, uh, beautiful, given order of how we're supposed to live. And it helps me go, my king is coming and he is a judging king. Heart. Get in line. He is a king. Jesus is a Lord, and he is one. And so it helps me to counsel myself. It is ammunition against sin. It also helps me in my counsel for you and for others. You realize, I've really enjoyed a month of no social media. It's been glorious. You should try it. I made the mistake this morning early. I thought, oh, let's see what's going on out there in the world. I'm back on my fast. Because some of you need to counsel yourself better. That what you say on Facebook, people read. And you associate yourself with that. And you need to give better counsel to yourself. But you also need to challenge one another. We live, if you take away a keyboard, most of you wouldn't talk. We don't confront. We don't challenge one another. But knowing the creed that says Jesus is going to return again one day, and I see you living in a lifestyle where you say, oh, I believe, but you're living in a way that's saying I don't confess. If I believe that he's coming to judge the living and the dead, I'm going to come and pursue you. And I'm going to say, what's up with this lifestyle? What's up with this on Facebook? What's up with this in your social media? Why are you such a bitter, angry person? Why do you love living in mud and dragging people in mud? Do you recognize that's not biblical? And if that is who you are and you're just an angry person and you're just a curmudgeon and you're just bleh, maybe you know that Jesus is Lord, but you don't confess him. You see, it helps me counsel you and one another, by the way, in that, that we counsel each other, right? Right? Someone told me recently, Bill, that was above my pay grade. I needed to bring you in. And I was like, no, no, it's right in your pay grade, your brothers and sisters in Christ. So it helps counsel others. It helps counsel us. Think about this. If I believe in forgiveness of sin. If I say in the creed, I believe in the forgiveness of sins, what does that help counsel me? Instead of when I fail, and I have, anybody fail this week? Mess up this week? Yeah, me too. Maybe you said harsh words to your spouse. Maybe you cheated on a test in school. Maybe you fell into a historic sin that is so difficult to break its power within your life. But if you confess and you say, I believe in the forgiveness of sins, then you run towards the forgiver, not away from him. Because you recognize that Christ forgives your sins. And you're in your sinfulness, it's not covered in shame, but you're drawn to this one. Yes, you know he's the judge, but you come and this judge is also a forgiver. And you're drawn towards him. And you counsel your heart. Go to him. 
and you counsel your loved ones who are around you, quit running from Christ. Run to him. Let him forgive you. Let him be all that to you. Brings us these things to our lives. It's what we believe. And so I'm going to invite you to stand now. If you would, go ahead and stand. If you can put the uh, creed up on the screen. Hopefully you can read that. If not, it's printed uh, for you. And historically, the church, the leader in the church, the pastor would simply say this. Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.